You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today, we have Arlene Garza, an exceptional guest with more than 10 years as a real estate investor in different, in different commercial spaces. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Arlene? I'm doing wonderful, Adam. How are you? Great. Uh, really, uh, I'm happy that you are with us today, and I'm, I'm really happy and I appreciate your time to explain to us what was the uh, real estate investing journey for you with you on the last 10 years. I'm happy to share what I've uh, learned along the way. Okay, so your background on the last 10 years was a great uh, uh, and impressive journey, I think, to scale your um portfolio from single family to multifamily and now it's syndication but what was the beginning for you and actually adam we never did single family oh we went straight into multifamily okay now we started with small multifamily uh our first purchase was a 24 unit property mm. um that you know when you start you don't know everything and mm. so we thought that the right way to do it uh, initially was to manage it ourselves. Hmm. So my husband and I managed the property. We brought, we bought it with a small partner. Hmm. Uh, basically he and his wife put in $20,000, but hmm. we needed it because we didn't have multifamily experience. Hmm. I have a banking background. So I was a banker for 20 years. So I had a lot of hmm. business experience. And my husband had a software company, a property management software company, mm. uh, which is where the idea came from to begin with. Um, he saw kind of on the back end of his users what they were doing on the multifamily side on terms of their performance. And so when he sold his business in 2007, mm. um, we moved to San Antonio from Dallas, Texas. Mm. And started, you know, he, he mentioned the idea of buying multifamily properties and being a conservative banker, I really just kind of took a pause and said, oh, I don't know anything about that. You know, <laughs> what, what are we doing? So, um, you know, fortunately or, un, you know, unfortunately, you know, 2008 was the financial crisis. So mm -hmm. that's when we first started looking at everything. Of course, debt was hard to come by and you know it was just a, a crazy market so we took time to educate ourselves during that time we joined some real estate groups we joined the local property i mean the local apartment association mm. in san antonio and found that they offered some really good courses on property management and everything from you know, the day-to-day -to, -day to the risk management side of the business. And so mm. we both became certified apartment managers and certified apartment portfolio supervisors through the National Apartment Association. Mm. And that gave us a little bit of a background so that when we bought that first 24 unit, um, we had a little bit of data, mm. but we didn't have the experience. So the partner we brought in brought the experience um, to make the bank happy, right? The bank needed to know that somebody knew what they were doing. 
And he also brought his list of vendors mm. and just thoughts and ideas on how to run a property. So this is so, again, again, I think important when you're starting, especially as a multifamily business, it's, it's a team sport. You cannot rely only on your experience. And as you mentioned, you need other players on the game to make it happen. Um, some people on maybe investor relationships, some people on experience on asset management, as you mentioned, some people to uh, offer something lender looking for. Correct. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that I like to tell people today is that partnerships are a great way to move this business forward. Hmm. Uh, my husband and I, we've been married 31 years, so you could call that the longest partnership <laughs> yeah. that I've been involved with. Um, yeah. But you know that, that first partnership was a great one because the partner was there. He was, again, very small amount he invested, but hmm. we had a question, he was available. Um, but we just jumped right in and I did leasing. I did the accounting. Um, my husband did the rehab and managed the maintenance side of it. So we learned a lot, some by trial and error, but um, you know, overall it was a good experience. And then we bought a, a, another small property around the corner, a 28 unit thinking, wow, if we combine these two, literally the manager could walk between properties and it gets mm. us out a little bit of the day-to-day. -day. So that was a another strategic move. Um, and then uh, we bought an 88 unit and then 143. So we kind of stair-stepped our way up. Mm. Um, and at this point, we're now in 2015. We have the four properties that we own. And we we're looking for a mentor. So we found a mentor, which is something I also highly suggest, mm. uh, but find a mentor that has a track record doing what you want to do. Mm. There's a lot of gurus who will sell you a program, but they've never done it themselves. You know, they mm. haven't seen the ins and outs of it. So if you're looking for someone, find a mentor. Well, our mentor told us, you guys have grown However, you're probably growing too slow because you're so involved in your day-to-day -day operations. Mm. So mm. he recommended that we try third-party management. Mm. So in 2015, we found a property manager, a management company, third-party, um, that took over the properties. And then we bought another, this one was an over 200-unit one mm. uh, within about six months of you know starting to work with a management company hmm. and so that property from the beginning you know started with third party hmm. and so you know we learned a lot through that process too um but what was a challenge for us was not knowing what was happening at the property on a daily or weekly basis right we had to wait hmm. for the end of the month to see the financials, to ask questions, to find out how the property was doing. And that at this point, you know, that 200 unit was a syndicated deal. Mm. So we've, we are always, always feel very responsible for our investors' money. Mm. Uh, we put our own money into every deal, but our investors' money is more important because it's their hard earned money. So 
at that point, you know, we, we kept growing and in 2017, we had about a thousand units, a little over a thousand units. And we started asking around and that's about the benchmark that a lot of people were saying you needed to have to start your own management company, hmm. a full-fledged one, right? We had done our own, but we wanted to have a company where we could hire people beneath us to do the day-to-day so that we could continue to grow. So we did. We hired an accountant. We hired a regional manager. But I think the condition here is to focus on just one market. But if you're doing uh, over a state, it's going to be hard to have different management company on different states. I agree. I agree. So, So the solution to working with third parties is having good asset management skills. Hmm. So an asset manager is really managing the manager, hmm. right? They're double checking. They're, they are representing the owner, uh, you know, in, in the conversations with the management company. So definitely third party has its place. Um, for us, our strategy was to build a base in our market, hmm. hire the right people, bring in corporate staff, and then in 2019, we expanded into Houston, a second mm. market. Yeah. And so then we just repeated the process in the Houston market. Um, today, we've got 16 properties, eight in each of the markets. Um, but we've gone, you know, we've, we've bought a total of 4,200 units, about 23 properties. Mm. Um, and we've gone full cycle on eight. So um, let's see, let's do the math. Maybe that's 24. <laughs> so anyway, um, the, the process was- The issue is here, before we jump in, the issue yeah. is here that you have choose two different markets with two different fundamentals. San Antonio market is a little bit smaller. The price range is a little bit less. Um, as I mentioned, the market fundamental is strong, but different than Houston, which is really hot market. So why was this, why you did the jump? Dallas, Houston is really expensive. Austin is really expensive, but San Antonio is different. So why you left San Antonio? Well, we did leave it. We continued to look for opportunities in San Antonio because it's our headquarters. This is where we're headquartered. Hmm. Um, but what, when we started looking into another market, Houston was a logical choice for us. One, we looked at the 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 demographics, hmm. 58% of the households in Houston rent. Hmm. 58, um, oh. yeah, almost. Yes, yeah. we went, I, I attended a lot of um, talks and presentations in Houston. I met with our, you know, brokers in Houston hmm. uh, that were counterparts to our San Antonio brokers. They made the introduction for me. And so I spent about eight months before we bought our first property, really understanding the Houston market. I literally had a broker. I'm so thankful that she did it. In fact, she was here in our office yesterday, but she walked me around the whole Houston market. And she Hmm. said, this is an area to stay away from. This is a hot area. And so from that, that was like an initial guide um, on where to buy. Now, Houston has no zoning to Mm. speak of. So you have to really look at a street by street situation 
uh, when you're in that market. But you're right. It is, you know, San Antonio is, you know, two and a half million people. Mm. Houston's seven and a half and yeah. growing, yeah. you know. So what we liked about Houston was there's a lot more properties that trade hands. So there's a lot more inventory. And the interesting thing about Houston is that a lot of people who don't know Houston and didn't study it like I did, think that it's all oil and ga gas based. Hmm. So they shy away from it. And when I started looking into the data for Houston, Houston has done a really good job of diversifying employment, diversifying the companies that are now in that market. And only about 9% of the employees are oil and, ba oil and gas related. And the rest is different employers, yeah. Exactly. A lot of tech, a lot of medical. I mean, it's got the largest medical uh, system in the world, um, huge cancer center, et cetera. So we started, you know, looking there. We bought our first in August and then just continued, you know, buying. Um, and what we found is because people at the time were shying away from Houston, mm. I mean, we bought prop, a, a, a 1990s asset for just under a six cap, hmm. a 5.9 cap. And this was a fantastic property, all attached garages. Uh, so it behaved much like a townhome community. So it's, I think in any market you're looking at, do your homework, understand what's there and what's coming, right? So what we knew was that Houston has gone through cycles where they will overbuild and then the, take some time for, for demand to catch up. Well, it's been growing so fast and it is the number one population growth city in the nation and projected to be that the demand is huge. It, and because of economic factors, there wasn't a lot planned in the pipeline to be built over the next call it three to four years. So there's a window of time when prices were better, definitely than Dallas. They were a little higher than San Antonio, but not too much higher because the rents were also higher, right? So it's that balance. And so we were able to find some really exceptional deals in Houston. Let me ask you here a technical question a little bit, especially coming from San Antonio. When you're comparing Apple to Apple here about the actual performance, especially with compressed cap rate on hot market like Houston, again, this is going to be and having an actual impact on the, your total returns and the equity multiplier when you're trying to do the underwriting. So we're talking again about, I think, 3 to 4% cap rate on Houston, whereas the on San Antonio, you're talking, can reach 6%. Again, when you are as a sponsor, why you move from 6% cap rate on San Antonio to 3 4% on Houston? Because we are getting 15 to 20% rent growth. This is a this is a this is an answer, yes. <laughs> so yeah. you, you, you have a different, like, because all, all always when you're as a, as a new investor, or as a sponsor, you're looking always on the cab rate, but you're not looking, you're not looking on the whole picture. So and I think you have to do that. You have to look at 
where is the market today? Where is the market projected to go? And there's a lot of data out there. Mm. CoStar does a great job of projecting, yeah. you know, markets. I think sometimes they're too conservative, mm. but we are in the market. So every week, our properties are feeding us data, market survey data on what we're, we are seeing hands-on real life, not somebody's projection projection that's sitting in some other office, but actually our people are telling us on a weekly basis what's happening with rents, what's happening with occupancies, et cetera. And you know, speaking of occupancy, our average you know across San Antonio and Houston, occupancy is 97%. The actual actual occupancy or do you mean yes, yeah, okay. actual occupancy. Okay. okay. So when you look at those fundamentals, you go, how do you not make money? Yeah, maybe pricing got a little bit inflated. Yeah. But we didn't we didn't buy into that. We still stuck to the numbers. Mm. I'm a numbers person. I have a degree in finance. That's what I do. And to me, we set our top number based on our returns for our investors. And we don't go above it. I don't care. If they hand it to me on a silver platter and say it's yours tomorrow, if the numbers don't make sense, we're not going to do it. Hmm. So you mentioned two markets here. If we're talking about other small market, especially in Texas, I like small small opportunities, a small market with good market fundamental. For example, Killeen, uh, we said San Antonio. Um, for me, this two market is great. The, and on the other way around, you have hot market like Austin, Houston and Dallas. So why you choose Dallas? Oh, I'm sorry, Houston over Austin and Dallas. Because of the Because the yeah, the 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 numbers made more sense. The price okay. per door, right? So I bought that A minus asset, right, in Houston, the 1990s asset at almost a six cap. Oh. At a phenomenal price per door, the cost basis was crazy. Well, Dallas, you're buying a C-class asset for what I paid for that A-minus asset in Houston. Okay. Now, okay. the rents are growing very, very high also in Dallas. But for us, we will go into another market. Dallas is not out of the realm. We like Dallas. Hmm. But we want to go in where we can build a strong base quickly, right? So we hmm. want to buy two to three assets at a time because, remember, we want to manage them. So we want to have the scale to be able to go into that market. Austin is, you know, 45 minutes from San Antonio. It probably makes the most sense geographically. Mm. But what we were seeing out of Austin, I don't know how much it's changed now with, their, you know, the whole debt market and interest rates, but it, it was purely an appreciation play. Oh, okay. That's what we were seeing. So. Now, some things are changing and we're, we're continuing to look in that market, hmm. but you have to have some cash flow, right? You don't want to be so tight hmm. that you're concerned about meeting your projections. You want to make sure you can hit them. And our process involves bringing in the president of the management company and her team. They review all the numbers in our pro forma budget before we make an offer. And they tell us we can achieve these numbers before mm. we even submit an offer. 
So it's important for us to have that ability to grow and scale in a market. And Austin is, is again, being that close to San Antonio, it makes a lot of sense, but we have to find the properties that make sense for our investors. Makes sense because again, you what you said is basically is based on your financial background, which is uh, uh, the the actual returns, the cash on cash, and the multi uh, the equity multipliers, the IRR, because this is basically how you can uh, protect your investors. Correct. You know, our to date we have had just under a two x average on everything we've sold. No. Oh, okay. And so you don't want to mess with that kind of a reputation, you know, by buying some things that financially don't make sense. Now, again, if you've got a massive appreciation, your total return might be really, really good yeah. when you sell it. Yeah. But until you sell it, do you have any cash flow? Our investors like cash flow. So I have to consider, as you said, all of those factors, the IRR, everything we look at to make sure that it makes good financial sense. So what is your focus now when you're buying uh, asset classes? Are you focusing only on B and A or you're still working on C classes? We're working uh, primarily on B and A. You know, never say never. If we got a fantastic deal on a C in an A market, mm. we would consider it. Mm. Uh, but what we're looking for today is the quality of that asset. You know, in today's market, you want to be able to go in with a nice capital injection renovate the asset. And if you need to hold it longer than a three to five year hold period, the asset can sustain itself without huge amounts of additional capital injection. So mm -hmm. we're buying quality more so than A, B or C, but B has been our sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And in any economy, if you know rents are going up for that A class, they're gonna come down to the Bs, right? Yeah. They're gonna rent in the Bs. And the C renters are always aspiring to move into the B properties. So yeah. that is really what we've found to be our sweet spot. So after nine, nine full cycle on your career so far, uh, I think it's nine, correct? How many full eight. cycle? Eight. eight. Oh, eight. Mm -hmm. What is more appealing and, and, and for you as a business uh, uh, as a business partner in your company, what is your um, more appealing to you is syndication model or the fund model where you can uh, control uh, multiple properties on the same fund or is more about deal to deal as a syndication, pure syndication? You know, we don't have the experience with the fund model, but we are gaining that experience as as we speak in terms of putting the pieces together because I do think that fund model offers a lot to investors in terms of flexibility. Um, year to, you know, to date, we have used the syndication model because we felt investors wanted to be really understanding of what they were buying, right? Versus a blind fund where they may not necessarily you know, be investing in one particular asset, they're investing in the assets that the fund acquires. And yeah. so uh, historically we have done the deal by deal syndication, but I think in today's market and going forward, we have the skill, we have the track record, we have the team to be able to pull off very well a fund model. 
Oh, okay. Okay. So right now, uh, to jump to another aspect here, which is basically the current recession, especially you're focusing on two markets with two different market fundamentals, in my point of view, um, how you see the two markets on the current uh, recession, especially on the underwriting, how you're uh, approaching the deals right now, especially with month-to-month uh, new interest hikes with the Federal Reserve banks. So how you uh, manage your underwriting right now on the two markets? Well, I'll just use the word conservatively because we've always done that. And in the hot market, in the, you know, be on alert market, whatever it is, the numbers speak for themselves. And when you talk about underwriting, even though we're achieving that high rent growth, and it's projected both in San Antonio and Houston to continue, 16% or so is what CoStar and the like are projecting rent growth to be through 2025. Hmm. We're not underwriting 16%. We're underwriting an average of 5% rent growth. Mm. Why? Because even on our renewals, before rents grew so much, we were achieving a 5% renewal rent growth. Mm -hmm. So we know that historically we can get that number. So if we put that in front of investors, we're very confident we can deliver that. So rent growth is a big one. We're underwriting more vacancy than the market is even dictating. You know, it's both of them are around four and a half to five percent projected vacancies. That's what we're seeing. We're underwriting an economic vacancy of 13 or 14 percent year one, hmm. just to be conservative. Hmm. Now, each property is different, right? We look at the trends the historical occupancy for that property, the historical occupancy for the submarket. And we're being very careful with the submarkets as we always have been. And then the one to five mile radius around that property. So what are the, what are the incomes you know, for that one to five mile radius? Can those incomes support the rent increases we're projecting once we take over? And they need to because Whoever's in that market today is probably going to be the people you're targeting after you take over. Mm. So if they can't afford a $250 rent bump, then you're going to be trying to pull people from other properties or other mar other submarkets to rent your property. And that's just not a really good proposition. Mm. Yes, people are mobile, but people are in that submarket for a reason, jobs or schools or whatever, the, whatever it may be that's attracted them there. So we do a lease audit, mm. you know, with as part of our due diligence, our team goes in and looks at every lease and we're looking at the incomes. We draw graphs and charts for our investors to show this is what they're making today. This is what they can qualify for, you know, as we raise the rents. Um, and then we look at what kinds of employment is there. You know, COVID taught us a lot, right? The Retail in suffered, you know, certain, you know, hospitality suffered. So we look to make sure that there is diversity in employment by looking at where people work mm. directly from the leases that we're seeing. 
I, I think this is, um, I have another question, to be honest, about the con being conservative and how you think uh, the mitigation risk for a B uh, class, but with an actual adding value, because when you're adding value, you have an actual risk with um, refinance strategy, especially on the interest rate. And it's basically, it's going to be speculation based on the current rate now. So what is your mitigation right now when you're approaching adding ad, added value properties or you're avoiding all of the added value right now? Oh, no, we still have added value. That's that's part of the core of what we do is to bring in an add value to raise the value of that property. I mean, yeah. honestly, you're, the income side of the equation trumps anything else when you're looking at what your future value is going to mm. be. Mm. So again, we're being very conservative and projecting what the rent growth is. So we know what we put in our refi model is tied to that conservative NOI, mm -hmm. right? So we feel really good. We can hit it. The other thing we're doing is even though we're projecting a refi and call it end of year two, beginning of year three, we are modeling a cash neutral refi to investors. Mm. So we know we're going to get money from a refi or we wouldn't do a refi right mm -hmm. but we're not projecting sending a lot of money back to investors in their returns so their returns are clean we know we're going to get money so their returns are going to be even better but we're just not promising something that we can't project right now or predict 100 percent uh, i think i'm going to come to the funny fun question here about uh, the show which is how you can describe your superpower. I would call my superpower numbers. I know that's mm -hmm. funny, but um, I've always been fascinated by numbers and how numbers work and mm. what drives numbers to go up or down. And so I think that is what I'm most comfortable with mm. is the number side of things. Now, don't get me wrong. I've managed teams of a hundred people and more. So I've got the ability to communicate <laughs> and, you know, get along with people too. But, yeah. but I think the number side of it to me, is just it's black and white. There's no gray. So you're more the, the partner who's focused on underwriting. Who, who, you're the one who's doing the underwriting basically. Yes. I head up acquisitions for our company. Hmm. Uh, my husband um, oversees the management or the operation side of the business. And that came about because we were both trying to do everything in the beginning, just like many partnerships. Mm. And I went through a process where I looked at my unique abilities, a mm. process through strategic coach that I mm. attended. And from that exercise, I came back and I said, you know, I need to really focus on the lender side of it, the underwriting side of it, talking to the brokers, yeah, because it's a sales game. We're convincing the broker we're the best buyer. We're convincing the lender we're a good borrower. And then we're we're talking to investors and yes. letting them be comfortable that what we underwrote is achievable. It's so a sales be, game. You have to be must like a master on handling objections. Correct. Yeah. This is a game. It is a game. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun game and it's a very serious game because yeah. when you take somebody else's money, you are responsible for that money. 
Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. My final question will be: How the people can follow your success on social media? Perfect. They can go to our website, reapequity.com, and that's R E E P dot com. And there's a button there they can click on invest at reapequity.com and reach us. And then um, there's there's podcasts, there's blogs, there's a lot of educational information. Um, for uh, investors that are really looking at learning more about multifamily. Thanks a lot for being us, with us today. And we really be happy to bring you again to show to talk about your success on multifamily space. I would love to do that, Adam. I think you have to pay it forward. You have to share what you've learned, I think. 100%. Again, thank you for time, your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you.